Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. What's going on? Well, it's, we skipped a week. We're getting really lazy. Yeah, I, I want to apologize to our listeners. We should be. We're horrible people. <laughs> well, not only th- not only that we skipped a week, but uh, the audio quality last time there was uh, some Did you, you didn't fuck fi- up in the editing. And you can't fix that when that happens. Like I, I caught it because I'm supposed to listen to every episode just to check. Well, that. yeah. Let, let me let me explain to our listeners. Every episode, Jeremy records a file. I record a file, and then I glue those together. And Raph I put the, the question work. in between. Yeah. I, I do the audio editing and make an MP3, and then I send a text to Jeremy. It's like, hey, can you check it? Have a listen. And you have to wait between but 24 and 48 hours. To sometimes respond. 72 hours. And I'm a very impatient person. And I know our audience is eager to hear the next episode. In this case, though, you and waited like 15 minutes. Like no, 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 no. And then it, 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 25 times you said, sounds great, fine. So this time I was like, maybe we don't have to do the check. And of course, this time it went wrong. So that's what happened. Yeah. It's, uh, and we've learned this lesson many times. Like We've learned this lesson in terms of like our, we do a little test audio recording before we start. It seems like a waste of time, but it's yeah. as soon as you stop. The one time you don't, things, yeah, yeah, things go wrong, and that's like it's, maybe it's very funny that it, it, and and uh, very true these habits how important they are. And uh, Christina often accuses me of of always doing the same thing every day and having these sort of neurotic rituals over and over again. Yeah, and then I did read a lot of times that there's a lot of people who try to have very strict routines so that it empties brain space for whatever you, decision-making you, you really care about. That's right. So you have the same breakfast every day, and then that gives you headspace to come up with uh, yeah, new yeah. projects. Kristen yeah. was writing her PhD thesis this week, and she was writing late into the night. But for she wouldn't finish until late. And for that reason, her and I couldn't spend like an hour before bed together. Then I couldn't sleep, and then I was terrible at work. And, you know... For me, yeah, without, it's all down to the drain. The, and, and then she's upset because it's like I require her to be part of the routine. <laughs> so she's just so. She's like, so basically, you're saying, after all, you're a misogynist and you want her to follow you and not the other way. Well, around. I think when you're when you live with someone for a long time, eventually they integrate with your routines, and then you know, like when you're apart, like if you travel, it's always yeah. hard to sleep. You know, all yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Little but the, it's also, I, I, you know, I'm an early riser. Christina's more of a night person, so. There's a conflict there. Like, she likes to work late, and then, uh, you know, I'll go to bed at 11 and fall asleep, and then she comes to bed at 1, and I kind of wake up, and the next day you didn't sleep as well as you... Mm. Yeah. But you've been you doing know. that for a long time, so now that's the routine, right? <laughs> no, it's better now. But, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I usually wake up two hours before her. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm the early riser in art, and I actually, yeah. I really need the, that, like, space. That's my space to myself time kind of thing. And she has mm. the same thing kind of sometimes late at night. Yeah. Anyway, um, what are we going to do? We, we, have a, we have a question from Karen. We, we have an essay. Well, she, she Karen, you, did, <laughs> you sent a great question. It's just a little bit long for uh, inserting so into the podcast. We're, so we're going to cut it, it down. down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a great question, actually. It was like, oh, perfect question for Raphael more than... Well, I, I have a few things to say about it as well. But why don't we listen to um, a, li- a portion of the question, which I think gets to the gist of the point uh, in Karen's interest. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. My question is about URLs, um, past, present, and future. Um, recently, I went to buy a .com, and it was selling for $3,000, um, which got me wondering just about the whole history of of those kind of speculative markets of URL buying and selling and 
how it relates to NFTs and just digital real estate in general. Well, thank you, Karen, for the question. This is a, a very comfortable topic for the Good Point podcast, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely you're you're the subject. Of, I mean, URLs for you. You you before NFTs, that was your NFT claim, right? Well, it, the, the funny thing is, I know not. I, I don't know that much about the theory of domain names. So the technical side, I don't know exactly. There's a monopoly of some company that takes care of the .com, and then there are other top level. URLs that you can buy for 250 million or something like someone yeah. owns .art someone I don't know who owns .org there are it's different registrars you mean yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. but the the bottom line is that the digital is infinite and domain names are finite so that's that's always been the interesting tension but they're not finite in a way because you can they are .coms like I think it's a maximum of 62 characters Oh, no, no, of course, yeah, yeah. the actual .com is, but then they'll, you know, they've added many more um, registries. But but one of the the ways I always saw it is that computer files are not human-readable, and even uh, NFTs are not human-readable, the address, you can't remember it. So what I always liked about domain names is that you can remember them and share them verbally. You can just tell someone, like... Go to jeremybailey.com. Mm-hmm. Or .net. Your, yours is .net, right? Yeah, that's right, because .com wasn't yeah. available. <laughs> but, but I don't know if we should sort of make chapters and talk about either history and present and future, or how do you want to do this? This is, yeah, I mean, the technology part, I think, um, it, you know, sh- the, the short, long and short of it is, you know, d- like domain, domain name servers replaced IP addresses, right? Like, so... You know, there was a time where you, you know, you used to have to type in a number, right? Um, and that doesn't make any sense. So, names make sense. Like, just if we're thinking from a design standpoint, I think, yeah, okay, because right. maybe even go back a little further. Files always had names, but that doesn't mean you can find them across computers. So that was basically. But the even before to that, solve. like I used to dial in like a phone number into. Um, you know, BBSs, which then later were became like, you know, kind of early, almost like pre-internet. I don't know if you ever did that when you were a teenager, but um, you would, you dialed a phone number um, and then, you, you know, the modem screeched and it, the actual computer picked up the phone <laughs> and it had like, you could have number of 12 people on but the site at a time. There were domain names already since 1985. I remember there was like IBM.com is one of those early domain names. So you weren't on dial-up before 85. I don't you? think in 85, you, we'd have to look this up. There's a fact check problem for us. And I don't know if we can pause the podcast to look at that, but like, okay. So uh, sorry for the interruption. Uh, a little confusing, but where were we? Well, we were unpacking groceries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So after, <laughs> before, this is unpacking a very groceries. contemporary moment. Like, uh, <laughs> Amazon was supposed to deliver. They said between nine and 11 and they're a bit yeah. early. So I think okay. it's good. And then, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so yeah, we were just talking about the history, and then we're and then you you dropped a bomb. You're like, I think IBM registered the first well, domain. Well, you, you, you were bragging like I was around before domain names, and I was like, bro, they've been around since 1985. Okay, but I was right about one thing. We did briefly look it up, and yes, there are a few domains registered on ARPANET in 1985. ARPANET is the pre-internet. I mean, it became the internet, but. It wasn't like regular folks were like logging into ARPANET, right? It was it was one academic institution to another. So maybe if you're at Harvard and you wanted to talk to folks at Stanford, 
yeah, you type in like Xerox.com, which was one of the ones we found. The first one was Symbolics.com, which is hilarious if you think about it, because it's an abstraction, right? Like that's what a mm-hmm. URL is. It's an abstraction yeah. of an IP. Well, the, to me, the domain name was always uh, felt like a place. Mm-hmm. Like you go there. But that's I, always I, how I felt about a domain name. Like there's all the there's the internet. There's all these files, and there's all these there's data everywhere. And they're like, oh, I know that all that type of data is in that place, and all that type of data is in that place. Well, yeah, and the other thing I think is it's like almost like the same as GPS coordinates, though, if you think about it, right? Like there's GPS coordinates is the IP address. Yeah, but they're not. The, the URL is like GPS, the town name. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. But um, <laughs> Give that one to me. <laughs> I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. But it, it just helps you find something because everyone knows numbers are hard to remember, hard to find. What I can't quite figure out is why did we never have URLs for phone numbers? Right, like I know. What? I didn't Google try that. I mean, th- th- we're going to talk about data structure and network structure. So, one of the things that's weird to me is why do we have phone numbers when we also have email addresses? And well, I think Google Voice was that. trying to solve that. I mean, but bef- you know, why do why have phone numbers persisted for so long? Yeah, um, yeah. Even now, in in the uh, iMessage era and WhatsApp era, the phone number still is valid and. Yeah. I mean, I can remember getting my first phone as a kid where there was like, you could enter like the address, the name next to the phone number in the phone. So you could have a phone book. Like you used to have paper phone books, obviously, right? But like, this allowed you to scroll through a list of names, type the name, get the number, right? And I remember, you know, obviously having a smartphone and people like, oh, no one remembers phone numbers anymore. All they can remember is the names of the people that they want to call, and I was like, "Yeah, what's the problem?" That's how. There's <laughs> that's no problem. Yeah, well, that's the same on. when they when they introduced writing, and people are like, "No one's gonna remember the great epic tales out of memory." Like, yeah, that's right. Rhyming them, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, uh, maybe maybe we'll look back one day and be like, "Oh yeah, human intelligence peaked." With the ancient Greek, and it was just all downhill from there. Yeah, but I mean, to your point earlier regarding scarcity, there there are three three hundred thirty million domain names that have been registered in the world up to this point, which yeah. seems low. I don't know why, but um, you know, if you think about phone numbers and personal names and business names, there's there's way too many Jeremy Baileys in the world for me to own. Like the scarcity model would be like you'd call Jeremy Bailey, you know, ten thousand or whatever. So. You get back into the same problem. As yeah, that's the, those AOL names, Jeremy Bailey, ten thirty five seven three. Yeah, like I couldn't get a. Go- I could never get my Google name. You know, like um, when I signed up for Gmail, you way too late. Bailey Orama. Yeah, that's right. Let's let the whole world know. That's my first <laughs> email. Just yeah. yeah, yeah, it's on my website. So I don't. But uh, yeah. maybe maybe uh, one historical thing that's interesting to me is which artists started using domain names for single artworks. So yeah. ever since the internet started, it was quite common to get a domain name for your home on the internet, what people call a homepage. Mm-hmm. So th- there's nothing radical about... Uh, yeah, I think ge- it's interesting, though, to say that for artists. I think consumers first got like a GeoCities, they, or they first got an AOL, yeah. or they first but got... But th- there's always been, you know, computer scientists or people who have a... a, a intimate connection with the technology and they're like you know what i want to have my own domain name i want to have a cool email address like 
me at jeremybailey.net or whatever. I, I don't yeah, want to. Don't just you remember be how hard it was million. to make a website before, like when when it first started, or was that not hard for you at all? Like, you know, HTML was really foreign to most people. That's why, like, yeah, it's not as easy as opening Instagram account for sure. But mm-hmm. by the time I registered my first domain name, I think it was two thousand one. Um, it was possible. It's definitely any. You know, artists didn't do it as much, but any design studio had their own website in some form. Like, you had to have your own domain name, otherwise you just didn't look like you were operating a business. Yeah, no, I remember I would, like, download PHP code snippets and, like, build little PHP apps and things like that. It felt yeah. like it was easier, actually, at back to, to me, like, I started with a GeoCities or something equivalent. Yeah. I think it was called Tripod. It was oh, a I free hosting. Tripod, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how I started. And then I was like, you know what? I want a domain name. I'd made like five web pages with uh, some animated GIFs and some other experiments. And it just felt better to have your own place on the so internet. So what was your first it, one? It was whitetrash.nl. <laughs> Is it still up? Is it still on the internet? Yeah, it, I put a single piece. Uh, uh, Jody, I traded a piece with Jody, so the, they own it now. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the first URL I had was... Well, I was just going to say what my, I, what my, I, yeah. uh, No, what I always say at lectures is that files are so abundant that they need some kind of place. That's because I always compare it to your photo album on your phone and you just can't find the photos anymore. Mm. That's how I always felt about the internet. Like you just have all these blog posts and social posts and files and sharing files and it's just too much and the domain name just always mm. felt like you're dedicated to this work to exist kind in of a, a good point place. it's like if you had a stack of photos you know and you put them in a photo frame like a like exactly. a physical photo it's almost the same yeah. thing it's like a, a frame yeah. which one do you print yeah 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 like which one are you going to blow up and put on the wall yeah um so it's a form of preservation in that sense you know the first yeah. like the first url i was going to mention earlier that i had was actually as you can imagine a, a, a business uh, url that was my parents business but i used it for my 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 interface designs, my early yeah. like and what was the domain name? It's still on the internet, SBLcommunications.com forward slash J B D forward slash And you can check out my early skins uh from the nineties there. Yeah. I, I, I do remember this was common in the Netherlands that you would have a internet subscription, ISP mm-hmm. and that ISP would give you an email address and a web directory. So you would be with the equivalent of Com- Comcast, like one of the early ones in the Netherlands was called Access for All. Yeah. And then you would have Access for All slash and then that tilde sign, because then th- all those directories are at the end of their directory. So that, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So then you would be accessforall.nl slash tilde and then your username. Yeah. 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 Or, I mean, of course. Is it tilde? I don't know. Like that, that weird squiggly line. In this case, uh, you know, I was actually running my parents' business website, so I just like was like, well, why don't I build like my own little personal website on? Did the you side? ever use it as blackmail? It's like I'm in control of your website now. You've got to give me more candy. To, the, to this day, yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's amazing to me is like I don't even know if they, how they're handling the billing, but apparently it's still up. So. That's how you know AOL still makes a lot of money because people don't even know they're still paying for it. Yeah, yeah, that's 25 years later, yeah. but. Um, but the, do you remember, I, I do remember going on the internet first as a user, seeing stuff and being 
like, wow, this is amazing, but I had no idea how to do it. And it seemed like, oh, I hope one day I will understand this complex system. And then step by step, you figured out it wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I think the, the URL, ironically, I remember reading a story back in the early 2000s, like, so a decade after the internet had launched, it was like in Wired magazine. It was about a, a guy who had gone to jail before the internet was like, you know, became a popular thing. And he got out and he got out just as the dot-com boom was starting. And he's like, the world has changed so much. And he like, cause every advertisement had a URL on it. And he, you know, he was just like, I, I don't understand like the world. I can't navigate this world now without mm. the internet. Like I heard a similar thing of someone coming out of jail a few years ago and just seeing everyone, having this rectangle in their hands and swiping it. It's like, what mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think that we underplay, you know, the tremendous, I mean, maybe not, maybe it's the most overplayed thing, but you know, it, it seems like it was logical and gradual, but for it, it actually happened really quickly. Right. And that the URL was standardized so quickly, you know, as, as for, as far as today's conversation goes, I it, think it's it interesting. Was, it was, it was really, you know, a URL is a link you think of it as a web link, but it was also a, a verbal link Like you see an ad and how do you get people to connect to your web entity? And that was this magic phrase, you know, like go to AOL.com. Yeah. But I think the other thing is, is it, it semantically referred to a page like Tim Berners-Lee who invented the internet, so to speak, <laughs> he's gone on to say that he regrets, um, you know, the way the internet was structured and the URL yeah. itself. Um, because it refers to electronic information rather than the context that information exists in, right? Like it, it refers to a page specifically. And he, he would have preferred that we had come up with some system to refer to the world at large through links and URLs. Like you can imagine like your sync, it does like if it could have a URL or, and we're actually living in this world today, which is kind of interesting, right? Where I don't know how many, um, internet addresses are on or exist in your home right now. But in my home, if I was to count them up, it's all the lighting, all the, the TV, video game systems. It's probably like a hundred internet connections. My my cat food feeder, mm. my thermostat, you know, most people's fridges. I, now. We just, we have a Samsung TV and all of a sudden it said, do you want to connect to this Galaxy Note? And I'm like, how are they on our <laughs> Wi-Fi? Or are they? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I what I when I this episode started. It's like I really am not an expert in network technology. I don't know how it works. Like I this always like the thing the, that I think is a really good point. It's like it, we, there was a brief moment where you did understand. Yeah, right? and that was like a design decision. Yeah, URL. but one of the mysterious things of domain names is that there are all these DNS servers that only update once every 48 hours. So yeah. when you move a website from one host to another, not easy. Yeah. part of the world still sees it 24 hours later, but you're already on the updated link. And blah, blah. But maybe I want to talk a little bit about the game of, of finding a domain name, which was in the question as well. That, that And it really is a game. Mm-hmm. Like uh, how, do you, how so, do you find one? Like when you start a project, do you start with... Well, you know, you know, when you start a, you started different companies... Yeah, uh, names, and then you either look has someone else registered this name as a company, or has someone else registered this on social media? Well, you know, it's crazy. Someone... Like when you're when you're starting new companies, which I do from time to time, and exactly, a lot of yeah. a lot of people do a URL search first before <laughs> before they choose before the name the of the company. Office. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, exactly, because it's like so important. Anyway, keep going. No, but the... Uh, oh, man, it sounds to me. You're fine. It's New York City. I know, I know. Um, I'll cut this out. This is 22 minutes. Yeah. Um, I'm a little distracted. By that motorcycle? You know yeah, what Harley Davidson, Harley Davidson says? No. Loud pipes save lives. <laughs> Those motorcycles oh, are insanely loud, apparently, so that you hear them coming so you don't get hit by them. Or they, or the motorcyclist doesn't get hit by a car. I don't know. They could have just not made motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could um, have made bicycles. Yeah. No, what were we talking about? Okay, so domain names, you know, artists choose the name, uh, looking up a name. I, I oh, talk, yeah. looking up domain names. Yeah, so that that was part of the fun, like finding a domain name that's available. So I, you come up with a name for a project, whether it's a, like you, a collaborative project, or the title of a work. Mm-hmm. And then what I like to do is sort of have an approximate idea of, of what the project is. So you're like, okay, well, this... This domain name, it's something fluid, but it's also kind of slow, and maybe it's kind of melty, or maybe it's kind of uh, doom, or maybe it's kind of, like, mm. you try to describe the mood, and you just start typing all kinds of combinations of words, and that was easier in 2000, and it got harder and harder over time, the number of readable .com domain names. Oh, and so, at some point, there was this tool called Bust the Name. Mm. B U S T and then a name dot com and you can just enter fifteen words and it'll find any combination of two or three words that's available. It just scans everything. So that's what I've been using. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I still do and the manual. For, for, for me, it was always the challenge of finding shorter names. I think it's very easy to find a, a domain name that's twelve words, but. Well, I wanted to double what? back on the company thing that I was just mentioning because I, I registered UAR, uh, and when I found it, which was my, my, one of my more recent projects, I was like, "What? How could no one have registered this?" And so I like immediately registered every variation of it, like ten versions. Which, by the way, uh, caution to people: these things do add up. Um, <laughs> eventually, it becomes a liability. But um, then, it, like months later, I was like, "I wonder if there's actually a company named UAR." And there was, so, um, you know, like, so I had the URL, but I didn't have the kind of trademark. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of Are they in the, the same issue. business? Is, is yes. there a yeah. trademark issue? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. listening. Oops. Whoopsies. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's, it's a fun company. It's not a profit company. Well, yeah, it's an artwork. So I'm like, when, yeah. I, as long as it's an artwork, I'm like, who cares? There should be a separate category, not for profit, for profit and a for fun company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I have like about 100 for fun companies in URLs. Yeah. Um, it costs me, it does cost me a lot every year. I don't know if you're, how you maintain all of the domains that you have. but it, it, Well, you know. one, one thing I've learned over the years of uh, making art is when you it I don't know how to say it as, as succinctly as possible but the, it does take money to make money and when you make art thinking I'll do it the cheapest way it doesn't mean it'll be successful so getting domain names is a drag and maintaining the server and when you get a lot of visits it gets more expensive but overall it, the the net outcome is very positive so yeah I don't worry too much the, the the thing more and why NFTs I think are so successful and what was holding back uh, domain names. So 
Domain names cost about 10 bucks a year a piece. Maybe some premium domain names is described in the question is like if you want to oh, buy like a business grand. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, or three million. But what what seemed to me logical is like, okay, we have domain names and business.com is worth a lot and art.com is worth a lot and coca-cola.com is worth a lot. So why couldn't we have expensive domain names for artworks? Mm-hmm. Because the digital is infinite and then you tie it to a domain name, which is finite, and it's it's completely transparent. There's a database of who registered it when it was created, yeah. just like just like the blockchain. You know, it, it's very verifiable. You can't forge it. You can't you can't make a second. You can't make a copy of it. So, you know, w- when you have a painting, you can even have a, a moment of doubt. Like, is this a real Picasso or is this a master of forgery? Mm. But with domain names, if an artist puts all their works, each work in a domain name and has a database of those domain names, then it's it's very easy to verify which works are real. Mm-hmm. So What's to me, it seemed yeah. it seemed like very straightforward. Like we pay millions and millions of dollars for domain names in business. Why not in art? And somehow the blockchain it works. And I think the I, I, I don't know what what is it what what is the difference why why does it work better well, with it I think it, yeah it's an interesting question one of the differences would be that a domain name is like um, it's like a sign or like an address and so the thing that it contains is mutable like the you know the file size yeah. could be yeah. whatever you want it can change it can be live but um, yeah the way it, NFTs it's less have been permanent set up, in character nice. yeah yeah. The way most NFTs have been set up, that's not possible. Now, it, it is technically possible, as we've discussed, on certain platforms. And maybe that's something that's going to evolve over time. But right now, the idea that something is fixed or, you know, inf- you know, like kind of solidified as an NFT um, and that the file doesn't change is part of the, yeah, the equation, part of the, part of the value system. And, and part of it is you rent a domain name and mm-hmm. you own a piece on the blockchain. So you don't have to pay a fee every year and that's part of the risk of domain names if you forget to pay the fee you lose the domain name yes yes you remind but, me of that. <laughs> but that but that argument doesn't hold water when you think about how much money people pay for premium domain names and so that's the thing I never understood why domain names as artworks didn't take off when they were very profitable in business and in business it's really just like real estate you have brokers you have people who hunt for them you have people who squat them all these terms you use for for real estate like there is domain name squatting there's someone who got madonna.com and she hasn't been able for decades to get that domain name because the the owner wants so much money yeah jeremybailey.com has been trying to sell me you know forever the thing that i think comes in there is like why do they want me you know why why are they trying to sell it to me well i I don't really need it because i have seo you know like that would be the countermeasure to the url that's the that's the post.com and maybe one of the questions is why .com or another domain name and i do think google and SEO and social media sort of took away a little bit of authority from domain names. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they became like that that phone book, basically. Well, y- Jonas Lind, a friend, he had uh, I think JonasLind.org or .com, and he forgot to renew it, so he lost it, and the person wanted a lot of money for it, and then he finally he had a legal right to it because it's his natural name or something, but he just ended up using JonasLind.biz and. Now that's higher ranked on Google, so 
end of story. Like, uh, who well, cares? Well, I think one of the interesting things, if you follow the Google thread, because, and I think, I just want to make this point, which is like, so most people use Google, um, they do not use the URL bar, right? Because they'll even just type the name of a company into the your, the bar, yeah. and Google often will guess that you want. Well, a, and, and Google is good at uh, understanding misspellings. Yeah. Which is very yeah, important you when you're typing with your, yeah. with your thumbs on a touchscreen, and and... There's a whole category what's what's called uh, I think typo squatting or something like. There's people who, yeah. for example, got all the major .com domain names just, but then .con. Yeah. And and they make millions and millions and millions of dollars without doing anything, just putting ads on those pages. Because if you type Amazon .cm or .con, you end up on their ads, and yeah, you know it's it's like. Yeah, if you could travel no, back the, in time. And this is where I wanted to kind of go, you know, in a, one step further and say like, okay, so there's this process by which companies pay Google for what's called branded search so that they, in, it's an auction system, just like everything on Google, but like where in, you know, say I own jeremybailey.com I, and I want jeremybailey.com to be the first thing that appears when you type that into Google, Jeremy Bailey, I have to bid for that keyword, I know um, it's so crazy. And then, but what ha, what what people do is, you know, another Jeremy Bailey or a company that's not Jeremy Bailey, like Raphael Rosendahl, will be like, you know what, I'm gonna compete against yeah, Jeremy Bailey. That was the base camp story. So that I come up first, and yeah. in fact, I'm gonna pay way too much, more than I know Jeremy can afford, just to destroy Jeremy. And I've actually yeah. seen this take place in a corporate context, and it's brutal because. You can actually destroy the business. You know, you know what really bugs me in this yeah. story? Why don't people install ad blockers? It just well, baffles me. Would an ad blocker block um, a Google paid search? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. Oh, really? You install... Ad- Here's a little pro tip from someone who does anything possible <laughs> to avoid ads. You install ad block or ad block plus, whatever, and then... By default, it doesn't disable the Google search ads because I think they have a deal with, with Google. And then you go in the preferences and it's like allow useful ads and you don't allow useful ads. That's what they call useful ads. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to see. And for a while, it was also avoiding uh, pre-ads on YouTube. But now that doesn't work anymore. But mm. Well, the argument I, don't I was going like, to make I, is I, where, you it's, know, it's we funny are, when I see yeah. other people use Google and then, like the first 15 results are ads. I'm like, how do you live? Yeah, well, I think it's very close to living in like you know the 1980s with 10 television networks because you're you're pre-limiting the choice, right? If you look at Google yeah. now, you'll be like a whole page down before the paid ad, paid ads are over. And um, I just bring it up because I think relative to URL, you have this idea the internet's super open, the URL anyone can register a URL. Okay, well then there's the scarcity of buying certain URLs, but then there's the yeah. scarcity of bidding against those URLs. And at a certain point, you have to be like, okay, yeah, but I. I, I don't know. I, I think uh, w- when we're talking about artworks and, yeah. and people using domain names for artworks, I don't think that's it doesn't matter. ever a question. And, and also with personal names, I don't think anyone's bidding against your name. Well, the the argument I, that I often make, though, is that zero people are typing in your URL to go to your artwork. They're linking from something else to your yeah, artwork. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so the URL is, is almost like a license plate. <laughs> You know, it's nice it's become, when, it, when it's vanity based, right? Yeah, and and so uh, to the que- I want to uh, finish one question about the old era, and then we can go to the okay. present. But okay, in the old era, there was the game of finding a .com, and one of the 
the sub-questions in the question today was why all my domain names are .coms because you oh, can yeah. also register .org or .art or whatever you want. And I th- thought, that's kind of cheating because the game is to find a .com. And I always felt, that, and I have a few that are .net and .org, like abstractbrowsing.net and mm-hmm. .com was already taken. But overall, I like the game. And so that was always part of the game. But now with NFTs that I can just give them any title that I want, it's mm. kind of relaxing. It's like, oh, no, this is really the title that I wanted. I try and buy dot .shop now. That's my favorite. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm only getting dot .shops. Yeah, but yeah, .com, yeah. I but, think you're right. It's interesting because it was almost like the popular, if you're a pop artist on the internet, .com was the literal representation of the popular internet. Org yeah, was like yeah. institutional. Net, yeah, no or, one ever org really always felt... It. Org always felt like stuff that, like hacktivism. Mm-hmm. That was always this uh, sort of uh, critical. There are no uh, rules about media this theory stuff, type of artist. And then there was .net that always. I don't know. Maybe In, were there ever rules? Because like, for example, I bought that uar.shop. I also bought uar.org at the same time. <laughs> it's like, so you know, like, is it a shop or is it an org? Like, no, there is no question. <laughs> You know, so I guess it was just—it was just—it's just a form of categorization to help people. But I, I've never even paid attention to the rules. I'm just like, unlike you, I was like, this is just a trash bin. <laughs> I'm gonna pull something out that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a bit—you know—I was a little bit less pure about it, I guess. Yeah. But I—I—I I, I do think uh, you have a point that people search stuff more than that they type in full domain names in an address bar and the browser is starting to hide the URL yeah, exactly. because of screen estate. So the world, ha- the technology moves on. And so domain names are still the pipeline of all the information, but they're not so visible to the user. So for example, I use this, this tool uh, to limit my traffic when I'm browsing or when I'm uh, self-control it's called, and that still works with domain names. And so, one of the funny things is I'll block a few shops that not to be distracted while I'm working. And then some of those are Shopify stores and then it just blocks all the Shopify stores. So it finds the pipeline and it's like, okay, I should block Shopify across all my stuff as when I turn the tool on. So hmm. I think it's similar to RSS, like RSS readers are kind of out of fashion, but there's still the pipeline for a lot of ways, like how we access podcasts. It's just you don't even think about a podcast being RSS. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think domain names are similar. They're just this this underlying, uh, you know, s- sewage system. Yeah, I mean, there's a beauty to it. I, I was thinking of artists that have intentionally broken the URL though, to draw attention to its ubiquity, right? Like, and I think Jody was the first one that came to you know, my mind, though there are other artists, but I can remember going to their website like way back in the day, and I'm sure it's still the same way, but the URL would like bounce you between like 10 different URLs. It would try and crash your browser. They're like the URL went yeah. beyond the bounds. No, I, of the- I remember. So they had Jody.org, which is their homepage. And then they had a lot of subdomains for each piece. Yeah. And one of the pieces is WW, maybe six W's. And then another <laughs> one was 12 W's. Yeah. And I remember seeing just a weird number of W's. When you have a domain name at .com, you can make any subdomain. So you can have shop.jeremybailey.net or yeah. store.jeremy, whatever you want. So you can also do six W's. But to me, it just looked like, whoa, they really hacked the network. Yeah. Like, it really felt like, how did they do that? 
Yeah. And you look at the source, and then there's a hidden message there. And once you know the trick, it's a bit, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. But, yeah. But what I think is beautiful about that is that it, you think of the URL as the address, not the artwork. But I think, you know, with them and with other people that mm. sort of, like, played with ASCII code and, and URLs and things like that, you can actually think of it as a little, you know, a little container for content. And I would always thought yeah, of you like that way. Yeah, it's like a little way. TV. But even you, like, you know, the fact that you use word combinations, there's a certain poetry to that. Like, you know, I'm obviously doing the crass brand thing, but, you know, you were talking about an emotion that can be conveyed. And most people think of it as functional, right? So I think yeah, it's rather yeah. unique to think of it as an emotional space. Well, it's, it's like placing little poems inside a phone book. Yeah. 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 And I don't think that that's possible with, well, it is possible with numbers, but you end up with boobless and... <laughs> You know, a few other, <laughs> few other easy to remember classics like the that. The greatest poem of the 20th century. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm, you know, I'm reminded at work, you know, we have internal URL systems, right? Like wiki systems and things like that. And recently it just got too insane. Like we've been around for 20 years. The number of pages on the wiki is like millions of pages. So it's like its own internet. It's an intranet, Right. And so recently we introduced something called Go Links at work. And it basically it's a URL shortener for an internal uh, intranet. But and you can also need to but, clean up. But the crazy thing is you can also use it against any URL on the internet. So basically it's a it's like a parent URL for the Those whole URL internet. Those shorteners have always been very controversial because yeah. they make make the, they add a complexity level. to a simple system. Yeah. yeah. So these are called Go links. So it could be like Go Jeremy, and then it it just basically knows that oh that means go to jeremybailey.net or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I found that that's kind of interesting that the system got so complex that we have to build a simple system on top of the system, like a little, almost like a neighborhood system. It 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 reminds me part of the reason I stopped following people on social media is because they would always direct message me with with long emails that were not appropriate to be in an inbox that doesn't have an unread count. How do you mean? And it's it, it's very similar. Like I have an email address. If mm-hmm. you have a work proposal, send it to my email. But then they send it as an Instagram message. Oh. And if you forget that you read the Instagram message, it goes to at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. You have no archival system. But yeah. people want to trust that the address is current. So email addresses are unreliable. They're like, oh, maybe he, he changed the email addresses. Yeah. So this is similar, like, oh, use the go-to link because the, the, the link is too hard to find, the page is too hard to find, and this is more updated. No, you're right. I mean, when you think about it, your Instagram page is like an, you know, is a URL. Obviously, it is a, a little URL, but it's abstracted inside of an application. So the URL is completely invisible because most people are not visiting you, your Instagram page via the web browser anymore, right? They're inside of an app. In the search, yeah. yeah, search is the thing. Yeah. Well, no, then, it's at it's at New Raphael, right? You have an at address. Yeah, yeah, but they might search my name and then end up at the uh, the page. But what I think is interesting is that they created a separate hyperlinking system, and they, they yeah. decided to do two things. One, they they decided to identify identity with an at symbol, and the second is they started to identify themes or groups of things with the hashtag. And Twitter was the and, first and, to and do that. Also. It starts out as a list of pages, but then it also becomes a list of people. So mm-hmm. when I want to contact someone when I'm traveling, it's like, oh, I haven't spoken to my friend in Berlin for a while. And then you have the option. Do I send a text message over phone? 
Do I send an email or do I message them on Instagram? And because you can see, oh, they've been posting this week, you probably your safest bet is to message them on Instagram because they might have changed phone numbers, they might have changed domain names for their email. Yeah. But there's proof in the in the social media that they're alive that they use that tool. Well, it's actually a really um, fascinating problem for computer intelligence. I was I work with someone who was who started a company or was part of a, a startup that is, was defunct. But what they were trying to figure out um, is how the fir- the first problem that they tried to solve is is it possible to tell just from email whether someone has changed jobs or not. Now, this sounds like a really, you're like, of course, Jeremy, you know, they, they could tell that. But actually, no, because you're no longer using the same email address. And you might say, like, well, why can't they just use, like, the LinkedIn API or something or look at LinkedIn? LinkedIn actually doesn't have an API because they want to protect that data, right? So the apps are protecting their data. So they were trying to use artificial intelligence to scan your inbox, like the inboxes of millions of people that would sign up for their service, to look for signals in the way people were writing that they had changed jobs. And what I think is interesting about that is that you think of the internet as this open platform. Nothing creepy. Nothing creepy. <laughs> no, I know it's not creepy, but it, I mean, it is creepy, but it's not creepy in a way because the, the, the open internet doesn't exist. There's a lot of closed walled villages and castles that comprise the internet. And this company this. was trying to get through some of those walls. Or enclaves. Yeah. No, I, I remember when you say it's not creepy, it reminds me, there's a movie about Schmidt with Jack Nicholson and he yeah. retires. And I think his son-in-law comes up to him with like wanting to borrow money. And he's like, listen, it's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> and when someone says that, it's already too late. So when someone has some web crawling technology, you're like, don't worry, it's well, not Well, I creepy. always think of the same thing, which is like the Seinfeld episode where... Kramer becomes the movie phone like voice. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and people are type, typing. If you in want like, to see touch. movies on Saturday, press four. Yeah, and then he doesn't understand the touchdown. <laughs> so he's like I'm laughing so hysterically, but he's like, "Why don't you just tell me the name of the movie?" <laughs> And whenever I see an AI thing or I'm at work and we're trying to figure out an AI, like, like, how do we do this with artificial intelligence? I'm always like, why don't you just ask them to, t- to tell you the question? It all goes like, back to Seinfeld. We're spending billions of dollars trying to cre- recreate movie phone, basically. So, Yeah. <laughs> but from me, emotionally, like, um, the, the scarcity of domain names and the game of it was very fun. And it was a big thrill to find something that fit the work. And so you, you make a work and you're like, wow, I found a domain name that's memorable. Like, I ma- Here's an example. I made this interactive depiction of a hand. So you can drag and change the fingers of the hand position. And that's it. It's just an interactive hand. And it's in the domain pleasetouchme.com. So I was really pleased that that name was available. Like you search for a few, it's like, oh, this is available. It's a surprise. It's like, oh, I can't believe it's available. Mm-hmm. That's that's cool. But then, yeah, it's always. I mean, I I get thrilled. I was talking about that with the URL. Yeah, but where, after yeah. after doing that for twenty one years, <laughs> at some point, I just was making web pieces more quick than before because mm. they're abstract, they're easier to make, and the titles and. I had just gotten kind of sick of it. So since 2019, I hadn't registered any domain names while I made a bunch of new pieces. Mm. And, and so NFT came along at a funny time where I was kind of tired of the, the previous era. Like yeah. 
it was cool, but it, it, I don't know. It felt like it, it wasn't as relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what the next thing was. And NFT came along, and I was still very hesitant. I was like, no, the domain name system is easier to remember. It's more shareable, and etc. And it took me some time to admit, like, oh, it's time to move on. But like, here's the thing with NFTs is like, so to find your NFT, which is public, like even if someone owns it, they would have the you would have to visit. There is an actual URL. It's like a hashtag or a hash yeah. code. But there's no one that could possibly remember that. So they have to go to the website foundation or do Open a search C for or EtherScan. But yeah, if you, you do, if you do a search on OpenSea, you you want will you be able? Can you type in Raphael Rosendahl and that'll yeah turn yeah you'll find them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're still yeah. doing the equivalent of the Google thing I was talking about earlier, right? So, yeah, yeah, but that's the way. So the decentralized internet, in a way, is already there. That our identities are not all on a single domain name; they're spread across different platforms. And then the decentralized thing is the next evolution, where uh, it's not spread across different hosted platforms but across different blockchains peer to but peer you, but you still need search tools and whether that search tool is is open or another search tool you, you'll still have some form of command line where you like hey what has jeremy been up to and you, mm -hmm. you search but i just think it's like um it's when like you know when facebook became the internet there was a point where i think it's lost its ground so don't get me wrong but there was a point at which yeah i know yeah, yeah. you spent most of your time in facebook right and big they were parts like, of the world it's still like that yeah yeah and they're like you know we were one step away from like upload your driver's license like because facebook wouldn't let you know google already does this they don't want you to be a non-human character right like they want you to be there's only one jeremy bailey right and i've always found that to be disturbing the url in a way was a queering of identity because it allowed you to be have multiple addresses like at infinite right like you could no, come up with yeah, a that's, new identity that's why I had a hard time letting go of the idea of domains because it's still a very beautiful idea like, yeah no company controls it it's yeah it's not like a at city the root level yeah 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 it's not like you had to buy real estate like the the amount is low enough that almost anyone could do it the standards are open enough that well, many well, he, yeah many could be served yeah. One example is that there was Second Life, this uh, 3D world where you could mm. buy real estate. Yes, and exactly. it was quite expensive and you had to, it, you didn't buy it, you rented it and I don't know. And of course, then the platform ends. And so you've put all this money into building your own little Well, that's where I thought we were going to end up. Because of Decentraland, I think this is, if this has been a chronology, you know, where we are right now, maybe it already seems out of date, but it's like Decentraland. And Decentraland is the real estate virtual metaverse real estate on the blockchain so you can buy like a virtual plot of land put like a little second lifestyle home on it or gallery koenig gallery famously has a gallery in decentral land it's on the blockchain you can resell yeah, it if you I, want i, I never no one's like there, the 3d though, right? navigation well right like but that you know like is anyone is is anyone paying attention to that like and again it's there's a map so one of the things that's interesting about decentral land is like the value of a Decentraland address is dependent on how central it is. And it's called Decentraland. So like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it seems so contradictory. Like if you're near the downtown in Decentraland, like the town square or whatever, where people start, the real estate's worth more. It, I don't know. It seems like, why well, would the, you recreate a physical world in, the, in that There's space? definitely, every time technology moves on, 
people think this is going to change everything. This is going to bring people closer together. This is going to make things more more camaraderie, more equity, more equitable, more diverse, etc. Like when the internet started, it's like this is a great tool. We'll learn about neighbors across the world and not just our neighbors next door. And this will bring cultures together. And then humans are humans. So, well, some are shitty, some are nice. But it, the, the, no technology is going to turn everybody into benevolent uh, saints, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's why I, the the thing I'm most excited about on the blockchain is still the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO. Um, the idea of, like, not of information being decentralized, but of decision-making And my pessimistic brain immediately, when <laughs> people say that, it's like, oh, that's perfect for terrorism. Like, you can't trace shit, you can have an organization no, across the No, you can trace things. The whole point is you can trace things. Okay. Like, okay. But you're not centralizing authority. You're not saying it's like one person makes this decision. You're, it's, a dem- it's like the internet as... We've often talked about like democracies running on digital platforms, right? But in practice, no one's actually implemented decision-making on the internet. So it's the first... No, it, I, I understand it's exciting, but it's the same thing when we talked about starting an online school and it sounds cool but end of the day you're going to have a lot of meetings (laughs) yes it's true i mean it's the people that i knew that were most excited about this idea preceded the the language and the technology and there were people i knew like in germany who were working you know on squats and commune stuff and they're like no we could do this with technology right like i can remember going to those conferences and it was there's an activism behind it. no and there's definitely like i think there's a, a theory that people invent tools for a reason, but the reason might not be right. So, you, for example, NFTs maybe were intended as artworks and they might end up being the best tool for charity. Because I think if you look at the history of charity events, they're very expensive and a lot of money goes to waste. It doesn't go to the cause. So mm-hmm. you use money and it goes to catering and photography and uh, dresses and uh, uh, you know flying people in. And with a with a charity NFT, you still have the recognition of the act of giving, and it's all logged, and people can compete and all that stuff. But you don't have all the waste. So, yeah. well, can uh, I just even, say, you know, like one thing about NFTs that while we're on the topic anyway, and I, that I cannot understand is here's a brand new technology invented 15 years into the invention of the smartphone, and it's almost impossible. To like manage, view, you know, work within the tool sets of NFT on on a on a mobile phone, I, I which I do not understand at all. Why? Well, I, I think I, my theory is that open source can never be user friendly fully. Mm-hmm. That's why open source conquered the web servers, but not the the regular smartphone. But it, if you look at the operating systems of, I think at least the Mac and maybe also other ones. They have an open source core, but then you need a company to make it user friendly. Yeah, that's very hard to do with a hive mind to make something completely user friendly. But so you're saying that this is like. But but my my other theory is that the whole crypto thing and the value of crypto is like this is only for people who can manage this clunky interface. We don't even want to deal with the people who can't deal with that. Yeah, and so this is creating a secret society with people who can manage complex passwords. 
I mean, it is interesting because the tech world has been a secret society for so long. And this is like yeah. the meta tech world. Like, ooh, tech world's yeah, not techy yeah, yeah. enough anymore. Let's go but one the, step But I think it's user-unfriendly for a reason. It's like, mm-hmm. we don't want grandma on this network. Mm, interesting. It's like Snapchat for old people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so if it's desktop only, I, I think there are tools now, like, you, you can have MetaMask on your phone, and, and then there are tools to connect it to websites, and I don't know, but... Um, Still, if you visit uh, foundation. dot you know com on your on your phone, the, dot app. Say, or dot app. Oh, there we go. Yeah, they'll say this is not optimized for. I, and I, I thought they I thought they fixed the mobile thing, but um, to the question of URLs and scarcity and NFTs, uh, I think for me the core of it, and maybe this is a conclusion, but the core of it is that we all create all kinds of expressions and memories in the digital, like in, in, in cyberspace or whatever you want to call it. And they're on our hard drive and they're on the network. And then I think we want to have a memory and a permanent log. And whether that becomes monetarily valuable is, is a later step. But first we're like, I want this thing to last forever. Because social media is kind of like quicksand and things disappear. Mm-hmm. But you're like, no, I want to be able to always find this even if YouTube is down. And so tying an artwork to a URL or an NFT gives it some promise that it'll be around for a long, long time. And As long as it doesn't use from, like a Flash plugin or something. <laughs> no, I mean, I made all my works in Flash and then uh, we, we recoded all of them to HTML5. Yeah, but, but if the you were URLs dead, you is, wouldn't be able to recode them, right? No, I know. But then the collector can hire someone to recode them. But I think the domain name or the NFT gives it a sense of permanence that, you're like, okay, this will cost money, and therefore, do you really want it? Do you want this to exist for a long time? And mm-hmm. I think tying some form of value has to be tied to some form of scarcity and real estate. And so, the, do you do you see what I'm getting at? That I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. I just I cannot ignore the fact that my mobile phone comment was a lead into like the most most of the time. The, the like remember Steve Jobs tried to make the browser the center of the mobile phone and and then the the world was like no 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 we want native apps we don't want URLs and i think the url was a brief moment in history that is actually gone like it's come and gone and we think we think it's important but it's this vestige of history that no longer is relevant and it's be- it's been completely abstracted away and basically a few companies control access to the internet. And this is the dystopic point of view. Your point about NFTs, though, is a victim of the same assault and the same problem, which is a few companies control access. Now you're saying it's available on OpenSea, but you were also saying like the technical knowledge necessary to participate in the system. It's not like it was, you know, in 1998. It's not like the, you know, I can remember the vernacular web, you know, that that kind of famous article was so inspiring because the web aesthetic was DIY. It was about it. It was not. It was about it not being professional. It was about access for everyone. It was about like personal media breaking design rules because it wasn't. You know, the rules were never what it was about, right? And um, I, I think it's like we we will have we'll look back in twenty years and be like, wow, we lived through this like it's like the free love period of the nineteen sixties. You know, like mm. it was like yeah. psychedelic drugs. But I still think uh, 
any major web platform or any major software platform will still use domain names for some of their pipeline. Like if you want I know, to control, but it'll be abstracted it, away. That's all I'm saying. Like an yeah, address. Most it, of the it time, is addresses are abstracted. So, yeah, but it, when you think of Shopify, they still everything goes through certain URLs, which is still tied to domain names. Uh, well, can I say one the, thing? I guess like it's. Yeah. Po- I think it's a political issue. Like uh, I was working. Um, it is, yeah, because the firewall is based on domain names. But we like we replatformed our product, FreshBooks. Like um, I guess going on five more than five years ago, and we brought in this this group of people to help us with the replatforming. Replatforming just means we reinvented all the technology, the whole technology stack. And at the time, these new technology stacks were emerging these new front-end stacks that were replacing PHP with what we now know as um, like React and Ember and these modern kind of JavaScript uh, frameworks. And these JavaScript frameworks had the possibility for you to create a whole app in one web page, right? So like one URL. So it could be just go RaphaelRosendahl.com and there's tons of interaction without you going to another URL, right? And I remember we were like, why would we have sub URLs or why would we have like hashes or Yeah. You know, so you basically wanted to appear like a desktop app and Yeah, yeah. We could place. just look like an app. And then I remember the people that were consulting us, they were like, No. No. Politically, the whole internet is based on this idea that the URL is not just an address, it's also a shortcut it's like it's actually like a command line like you can enter commands through it it's a very powerful api the url itself like rss like you were talking about earlier yeah and if you take that away you're taking away a part of what makes the internet no i know there's a few websites that do that and it it bugs me so much it's like it's it's like the website is treating you like a child Mm -hmm. oh there you go but that's what i'm just saying like we're fisher we're at fisher price moment maybe nfts is like we're not that you know it's going back toward uh some kind of freedom of technical expression yeah for um, sure yeah but uh, and, and that's and why my, it's clunky like yeah. because you have more options yeah okay i could i could i could buy that but i have to explore it further i mean obviously i've i've explored nfts a little bit i think on hen is where i still find the most interesting stuff happening but um like the idea that you can embed code inside of uh i know she yeah. still seems to be exciting yeah. to me to me, the, the idea of embedding code felt a bit like code is never permanent. You have to update it every now and then. And well, the main thing is that it can do a server it, call. So, like, yeah, yeah, I know. But, but so, as you said, like, domain names have this promise of like, it's a whole world and you can change the content. And NFT felt like it's cooler if it's just this solid moment. You know what an NFT is? You know, when you like, when, when you meet a collector of like stamps or baseball cards. You know, you're a kid. Like, imagine yourself. You're like, I don't know what they collected in the Netherlands. Maybe it's clogs or something. But and you like, you're just doing, and you got like a shoebox full of all your collectibles. Then you go and you meet like some someone in like this in their 30s <laughs> at like a convention, <laughs> and you get to the convention and people like pull out these leather bound books with like, um, like plastic over all the cards and like <laughs> like don't touch, don't touch. It feels a little like that, you know, like you, it, yeah. it's not that. Uh, ex- I have a funny story. Like a friend of mine, her stepdad was a coin collector. He had a, a very elaborate, expensive coin collection back to the Greeks and the Romans, all kinds of rare American coins and European coins. And him and his son really didn't get along. And at some point his son was pissed and he took all the books of the coin collection and threw them in one of those machines that converts it into some dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> 
<laughs> just all those ancient coins and you just got that's, $30 for it. That's what Google AdWords is, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I think um, yeah. an interesting so, but, question. But I, I, I think for me personally, it felt like a closing of an era, the domain names. It, it didn't feel appropriate for the works that I was making anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think for, for projects, domain names are still important. I, I think it's a much stronger position if you also have the domain name, not just the Instagram handle. Well, I still think yeah. if, if you're an entity, you want to have some control. I'm still doing it. I, I still think of it as my portfolio and, and of the thing that's going to last the longest in the, in the world. But um, yeah, I guess uh, maybe I'll have to renew my credit card, get someone to put my credit card details in at some point after I die. To keep these things. Yeah, it, 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 I want to give a shout out to Lima, the the Dutch uh, sort of the Dutch version of Rhizome, where they're like a video archiving and net art archiving place. And Super they have awesome. A, yeah, they have a feature called Art Host, and and I'm slowly transitioning. I'm asking my collectors to switch to them. So they do hosting. They they invoice the the collector once every five years, and they take care of the code or help update the code. And uh, so. They they take over the domain name and they host everything, but uh, that's exactly the question. They're an institution, so even if we die or they die, the institution lives on and uh, can take care of the work. That's the right thing to do. I, I should really yeah. get all my stuff over there, but they won't. Take yeah, it. <laughs> they might. Actually, how do they decide what gets in and out? I, I mean, I no, know, no, no, no. It's just the, the the collector has to pay for it. So it's yeah. it's uh, two hundred fifty euros for five years of hosting plus the bad. cost of the domain name. Yeah. That's, that's totally reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, hosting companies, it adds up if you get a lot of clients. So it, it's a good model for them, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good plug at the end. Oh, and I think we have a field recording. Um, oh, yeah. We're back to field recordings. Maybe we, we put that field recording next week. I'll put the full question. So I'll, I'll put a oh, snippet of the question in the beginning, and then we'll have the full question at the end, and then you guys can hear all the questions we missed. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the question. Thanks for listening. Keep sending them in. Bye-bye. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. My question is about URLs, um, past, present, and future. Um, Recently, I went to buy a .com, and it was selling for $3,000, which got me wondering just about the whole history of, of those kind of speculative markets of URL buying and selling and how it relates to NFTs and just digital real estate in general. Um, Raphael, since you, since web URLs are like the titles of, of your works, I'm wondering um, yeah, if you've ever run into this and uh, how you dealt with it. Um, it was then suggested to me that I buy a dot art uh, instead, which I thought was brilliant and, and immediately did. But then it got me wondering about, you know, the index preferences of SEO and, you know, whether whether that's of any relevance uh, or not, like whether I should still buy the .com. Um, and then I recently learned from some post-secondary institution teachers about how students are often taught um, to only use .org sites as legitimate sources, which kind of made me laugh at the hack gift that that would be to anybody who wanted to legitimize any kind of baseless claim. Um, and then... I noticed uh, Vitalik Buterin, the Ethereum co-founder, has a blog at a .ca, and um, 
despite having a total aversion to uh, nationalism, I just kind of thought it was like kind of cute and kind of quaint and cheeky and kind of a humble brand choice or it just surprised me, I guess that, um, uh, and yeah, I, I noticed that Raphael, all of your, uh, websites, uh, works are dot coms. I was wondering why that is. And then lastly, it just got me thinking about, um, you know, the future of URLs and whether they're going to be relevant at all. And just with the growing prevalence of QRLs and even people getting more comfortable with QRLs um, during the pandemic um, and just the future of spatial computing and, and, you know, the future of the web and where our relationship with text will get greatly diminished and, you know, be replaced by a kind of spatial relationships like proximity to content or, you know, image-based things or, or, you know, with a, with a user interface experience that will focus around gesture and speech and audio will be dominant. Like, what does all of this mean to the nature of site specificity in our digital lives? And, you know, how do these things relate to branding in terms of like signaling an allegiance to the arts or national identity? And yeah, what do you guys think will determine the new uses, um, relevance or, or demise of uh, uh, the future of um, URLs, uh, web links in media art and, and our, the future of the internet? Thanks, guys. <laughs>